0: The Paul Leslie Hour Helping people tell their stories And now, your host, Paul Leslie Hey, it's me! Hello and welcome! Thank you for choosing the Paul Leslie Hour I am honored that you're here On this episode, we are featuring my interview with the singer Abdul Duke Fakir of The Four Tops He is a founding member of The Four Tops one of the most successful vocal groups of all time, who defined the Motown sound of the 1960s. They will forever be known for such evergreen songs as I Can't Help Myself, Sugar Pie, Honey Bunch. That's one of those songs everybody knows, listed as one of the 500 greatest songs ever by Rolling Stone magazine. And of course, it's the same old song, among so many other songs. The Four Tops have been an active musical group since 1953. Isn't that incredible? I had the chance to see the Four Tops in concert. I absolutely love the great singing groups. I've seen the Four Tops, the Temptations, the Tams, the Platters. I love all of them. Some of those songs, like I Can't Help Myself, Sugar Pie, Honey Bunch, they're just everywhere. I mean, you see them in commercials, You see them on television, you hear them on the radio, and then, of course, in keeping with the theme of the last few episodes, it's also featured in the soundtrack of the movie Forrest Gump. I'm going to take you to this interview that I recorded with Duke Fakir of The Four Tops. This was recorded over the telephone and broadcast on the radio. They were appearing in Atlanta, Georgia. And I had the opportunity to talk to him, which is something I'll never forget. This interview still gets comments from people all these years later. If you want to support the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission, it's quite simple to do so. Just go to patreon.com slash the Paul Leslie Hour. It would mean a lot if you could help me. All right, folks, as always, let me know what you think. Let's get into the interview. We're welcoming Duke Fakir. Of the Four Tops, a founding member of the Vogel Group, here on the Paul Leslie Hour, thanks so much for joining us. Tell us, where does your story begin?
1: I am born in Detroit. My mother was born in Sparta, Georgia, and she moved to Detroit. And we have a lot of relatives that came from Sparta and moved into Atlanta. Growing up in Detroit was, well, you know, it, belief behind it was fun. We were very poor. We had such a big family, so many cousins and this and that, and we and had such a great family heritage, and we didn't realize how poor we were. I probably didn't realize how poor we were until I got to high school, and when it was time to really make a lot of changes in your clothes,
0: and I just didn't have
1: that many. That's, it, looked, it, it was a lot of love in our family, a lot of music. My mother was a piano player, she played for the church, and my grandfather owned the church. My mother was a minister, and, but she was also... Head of the choir. And so as a kid, uh, my whole all my brothers and sisters, we sang in the baby choir. Then we grew to be the junior choir. Then our cousins joined in. Pretty soon it was the mass choir, but it was all family, pretty much. And we, we had a wonderful, loving time growing up. I've always had music in my heart. I've never really aspired to make music a living. I really was a, we, uh, the four of us, we started singing because a couple of us had uh, scholarships to college to play basketball. But we graduated in January of 1954 from two different high schools. But we were friends, and we had started singing around town. And uh, one guy said he could get us some jobs working. So we said, "Wow, if we can work during the summer, we can make enough money to really go to school properly. Maybe we need buy a car." And- and get down there. We both had a scholarship to the same college, by the way, which was uh, in, in Ohio, Central State in Ohio. So we started singing. That first professional job on stage, which I'll never forget, was in Flint, Michigan, about 60 miles north of Detroit. Uh, once we hit that stage and we performed, we knew then that this is what we wanted to do for life. And we made that, uh, we made that agreement, and we made that pact, and we worked very hard at it. And we were very fortunate because we had one guy in the group that had a great musical ear, and we learned all kinds of different harmonies. We had a great blend. We had a natural blend. It was like we just put together our voices. That was the first tenor, Lawrence Dayton, the musical genius, was the second tenor. Levi had a, one of the greatest lead voices, and Obie was a baritone bass. I mean, it, you just couldn't answer no more. The first time we sang together, it was like magic. So we were blessed, but we worked hard. It took us nine years before we could really become really big popular, even though we had a great following. As as kids, we worked around a lot of clubs around the country. We worked at Playboy circuit. We worked Mm in lounges in Vegas. We worked on production shows like Larry Steele Productions, the Idlewild Review. We did all kinds of things. We were very fortunate. We were even on Broadway for a week. And we were back Amazing. up uh, vocals. We were back up vocals for Billy Eckstein for two years We traveled to all the supper clubs and all the beautiful beautiful, beautiful clubs across the country. Cyrils and Hollywood and all the places in Vegas. And we had such a we had a great career before we before we signed up with Motown. We just didn't make well, a lot of money. <laughs> but we learned our craft. I mean it was like I can remember when when, when we left Billy, when Billy actually had after two years, he said, Well, fellas, he said, Man, you all, he said, I I don't know why you're not the greatest group in the world. He said, So, anyway, to the wind, you have your wings fly. (laughs) And that's exactly what we did. We signed up with Motown right after that. And I guess the rest is kind of history. And it's just been a wonderful, exhilarating, awesome, blessed life ever since, you know, since we were kids. We've been doing exactly what we love to do. And, and that is such a blessing that people can just understand. If you're doing exactly what you really enjoy and love doing, you'll never work a day in your life.
0: <laughs> can you remember the night that you all decided that you would be called the Four Tops?
1: Yeah, I remember. It was in the recording studios. It was 1956, two years after we started. We started out as the Four Aims. Because we were aiming for something. We were shooting, you know, for the stars. And so we wanted to, that name to signify what we were doing. Well, when we got to Chess Records, I remember Phil and Chess Chess came down to the studio and said, well, he said, boy, you guys sound great, but I, we're going to have to change that name. I said, why? He said, well, the four Ames brothers are very popular. I said, oh, yeah, I remember. I've heard of them. He says, uh, we, we can't have that. So we've got to change the name right here and now. So our musical director... The Maurice King from Detroit says, well, I'll... and he asked the same question, how did you get the name? Why, you know? So we told him and we talked about it for about five minutes and everybody was scratching their head and coming up with names and all of a sudden he said, what about the Four Tops? Your guys were shooting for the Tops, weren't you? I said, yeah. Everybody said, hmm, that sounds good. And it rang the bell and they said, hey, that's it. So we were the Four Tops from that day on.
0: We're joined by Duke Fakir of the Four Tops. The Vortops have been around since 1954. There's a lot of musical groups that don't last six months. Why do you think the band has been able to survive so long?
1: Because this is what we wanted to do as a lifetime career. When we were kids, we realized that we, we felt like we were talented enough to make it in this business as a career. So we dedicated our life to be making it a career. We learned all we could. We hustled around. We made, we tried to make sure we did all the right things. We learned how to dress correctly. We learned how to sing all the different types of songs so that we could work all the different places, which was, which to us, in, in our estimation back then, would give us longevity. But we also knew we had to eventually have a recording, but... That was, we said one day, I mean, as we, as we were scuffling through doing these other, all these different venues, paperwork, circus, in Vegas, we knew that eventually we would have to record, but that was not always our first priority. Our first priority was to get into the business. We, you know, we just, we went at it as if we wanted to make it a lifetime career. And we made that commitment. And that's all everybody wanted to do. Levi never wanted to do anything other than sing with the four tops. He had many offers to go by himself and and do his personal thing. We've all had different offers to do different things, but this is what we do. We love each other and respect each other enough. We loved our families. We realized we were all taking care of each other's families. Our families grew up together. So it was it was our store. It was our family store that we were running. And that's the way it has been and the way it, it will be. And it, and it still exists the same way.
0: Do you have a favorite song that the Four Tops recorded?
1: Yes, I do. I have two different types. Uh, Baby I Need Your and is probably my all-time favorite. Maybe because it was the very first song very first hit, but it's was also the song that allowed me to retire my mother from scrubbing floors and, and to buy her the home that she always wanted for herself. And and then it's our opening song. It's a song that people love to sing and I, I just love singing it. And my second best is back off the park. For some reason that song, whoever sings it, brings a tear to my heart and my eyes. Uh, and it's like it's as though Somewhere in life, I left something out in the rain, and I or I left somebody out in the rain that I should have with me, but I can't think of who it is because I've got with me who I need and who I love. So I hmm. can't think of what it is, but it it, it affects me in, in such a way it, it just makes it, it brings tears to my eyes every time. This song, whether we sing it, which we did record it as well, whether someone else sings it, it's, it's just one of my all time favorite songs.
0: So many of the four top songs were written by. A very iconic songwriting trio. You know who I'm talking about. Holland, Dozier, and Holland.
1: Holland, Dozier, and Holland. Yeah. We met them after we came to Motown. When we first came to Motown, Barry Gordy us has a very versatile singing group. He did not have a group in his stable that could sing out of the American Songbook or all the standards and stuff. So he wanted us to sing. He asked us to do an album. First of all, for those kind of songs, which is kind of jazzy, um, the road things, things like, Gee, Baby, Ain't I Good To You, How Deep Is The Ocean, you know, all those great songs, Dancing in the Dark, and, you know, just just great Americans from the great American song. And we did. We recorded probably about 20-something songs. We finished that album. We recorded some with big bands, some with a little jazz group, some live in a little jazz hall. When we finished the album we all listened to it with very and he said, Well, it's very good, Jeff. He said, But the more I listen to it, I realize it's not as commercial as I thought it would be. Hey, okay, we'll put this aside. He said there's three writers that I think would come can come up with some good music, good hits songs for you guys. It's called Holland, Ocean, Holland. and Holland So said, I'm gonna take you over there to their writing room and you know, meet them and and let's see what they can do for you. Well, he did do that. We became very good friends. We spent a lot of time together, and they started writing some of the greatest songs ever written, as far as I'm concerned, for us as well as for the Supremes and and for the uh, and for all the old time artists. Like Daniel, like Martha and the Vandellas and Junior Walker, and, and they would write songs for everyone. And, but they, they had a particular love for the Tops and the Supremes. We were like a family within a family, uh, the Motown family. And, and we had a, and they just, they were just the greatest, I call them greatest tailors of music. I mean, they would call you in and they would tailor make this song for you and they would produce it and it would be just fit. She was just perfect. And then the next day they would be working with the uh, Supremes I and mean, it would just fit them with the same type of thing for them. And the next day they would be working with Martin Vandela for the next week. And they would fit something perfect. Number one song, I'm telling you. And, So, I mean, they were just, they were just great young writer producers. Probably the best in in the world at that time.
0: We're joined by Duke Fakir of the Four Tops. You've had some incredible experiences, both on stage and in the recording studio. What are some of the stories that are most memorable for you?
1: Well, there's been a lot of, there's so many thrilling moments that it's pretty hard to pinpoint well, probably, probably one of the greatest moments in our life was on stage at Carnegie Hall back in the 60s. Back, back then, Carnegie Hall was like the epitome of concert halls. So if, if you got to Carnegie Hall, I mean, you have really made it. I mean, you reached the whole general public by that. So for the first time on stage, with like 16 strings and 16 horns, and it was a great big band, and great turnout, and probably one of our finest shows. That stands out to me as one of the greatest on-stage moments, and, which uh, I could elaborate on that eventually, but and we were just so excited. And we probably did one of our best shows ever, and we got standing ovation after standing ovation uh, there. And it was just, just a great video at that time, like I said. It was top of the heap. And then now we go to the studio. The most fascinating thing that happened in the studio was and right after Sugar Pie Honey Button, I Can't Help Myself, it was on the charts for like nineteen weeks at number one and all of a sudden it starts falling. Now Barry Gordy, president of Motown, always had a follow up for someone that had a number one record. And that time everybody was just enjoying it being a number one. We've had I was not even thinking that it was gonna to ever to fall out of number one eventually. So when it starts falling, it felt like the three Barry Gordy came into uh we were all in the studio doing some other work. She said, Hey man, he said, I can't help myself. I've got an anchor on it. <laughs> just falling out of the chart. I said, well, What is this at number three? He said, We don't have a follow up. So I gotta have something by, by if this was like Thursday. so I gotta have something ready by Monday to get to the Ditch shot in case of whatever. But, so that night, Lamont Dozier and I went out and we were talking and we kind of hung out. We were good hangout buddies with South Stately Club and so one of the Motown artists performing there. And then, we were all feeling really good. I was driving at night. He was a little he was a little more loaded than I was and took him home and he started playing he said, What's happened?" I kept my miles. Yeah yeah. so we started started chatting and he started playing the piano, he started playing, I can't help myself. And then he started doing something different. He started playing it like backwards. I said, What are you doing? He said, I'm just messing around, he said I said, Dang man He said, you know, I said, sounds, that, sounds, that sounds like can you can't yeah. He said, yeah, it sounds like that same old song. He said, wait wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> and he started thinking around. He said, okay, I'm fine, Duke. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. The next day, they called us in. He had talked to his buddy, Brian Holland. They, they had cut a track of that song. We were in there, did background. Levi came in that night, did the lead. Saturday, they mixed the song. Sunday they called us all in to stamp label stamps the acetate so they could ship them out to disc jockeys. Monday, it was on the radio. That to me was absolutely amazing, and of course that went to the top five. <laughs> that's one of the amazing things that happened in this. But the studio was going twenty four hours a day, and and that's just an example of how they could turn out things at at a given moment. You know, I mean they were they were just at, at that time. Uh, uh, at that, that, that time, of the Motown's lifespan, everyone was like at the top of their game. The writers were writing extremely well. The producers were producing. I mean, all of them. You know, it was Norma Whitfield, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye. Everybody was at the top of their heat, right around there, 65, 66, 67, 68. The engineers were making the sounds absolutely. They just kept tweaking the machine because they built them themselves. And they kept doing all that. The punk brothers were just playing their hearts out. I, I would like to use another word, but I was playing their ass off. And you know, it was 24 hours. You could, you could go there at 4 o'clock in the morning, you could wake up and, go, and somebody would be recording, or three or four of the writing rooms would be filled with writers. There was always something going on, and only because they knew it was, it was their time, and everybody was just pushing each other higher and higher, raising the bar better and better, more consistent, more consistent, to pretty soon, instead of waiting to see what the market, the record market would be, they actually created the record market at that particular time, they were more or less, the record market was waiting to see what Motown had next, which is, which is really quite a feat, and then across the street from the recording studio of Barry Gordy was growing artist-artists artists, to become stars, something that no other record company was doing. He was teaching uh, the girls how to how to dress, how to walk, how to talk. If you needed more music, you could get any kind of range that you need for your particular act. If you needed someone to help you put your songs together so that the show, your show was exciting, if you needed someone to show you how to make it exciting, whatever you needed, that's what you could get at Artist Development. And all artists were required to go over there to find out what their needs were and then fulfill those needs. Really, an amazing, amazing, wonderful, loving family. It was like a factory, but it wasn't a factory. It was, it was more fun than factory. But it was always something going on. It was always something for you to do. It was always something to make you better. All kind of doors were being opened to you. It was just absolutely amazing. And when I look back over, there, I said, wow. What a blessing to just be there at that time. And, you know, it's just absolutely amazing how out of those little houses that put together all this wonderful, wonderful talent and all these, you know, just came and it just blossomed. And then, then all of a sudden, here comes these little guys, this little man, boys, that everybody just could not believe. <laughs> little Michael Jackson, and <laughs> the Jackson fire. We could not believe that he had not been here before. When he came in as a little kid <laughs> singing the way he sang, like a learned, well-versed, taught, soulful kid, we just could not believe it. We couldn't believe it. It just was absolutely amazing. Literally, I just said, that when I turned out, said, look at this little young guy. Look at this group. Look at these guys. And I said, it, it's amazing. And it, I mean, <laughs> this is even after we, we, we lived with Stevie and watched him grow and, and watching this the thing, but to see these guys coming, and little Michael, it was just absolutely amazing. And it just kept coming. And after that, it was the comic it was later on. And it James. I mean, this was further on after they moved to the West Coast, but still, it just kept coming. An, an amazing story, town. I'm, I'm just so glad to be a part of that wonderful family. And what it did also, probably, probably one of the greatest things that most of us are really proud of. And that is, it, it was, culturally helped change the world. It really moved into people's homes and the the music was our, our music was not getting in there. It was also part of it seemed like it was part of the part of the movement. Martin Luther King was coming in in the front door, we were seeping in through the windows and cracks in the basement and through the on the television screen and we were in people's homes where we hadn't been before. And it was just absolutely amazing how well those two came together and softened the blow for civil rights. And it just kind of opened the door just, just a little more with the music, as well as Martin Luther King that did his great thing. But we feel like we were also a part of that in, in this moment, to be honest.
0: Amazing stories. What do you like about music?
1: What would I say I like about music? Everything Music, <laughs> I won't even tell you what music has done for me, but what I like about music, it, it takes me places. It takes me someplace sometimes where I need to go, sometimes where I want to go. You know, I, I can listen to music, songs that just take you. And that's what I like so much about the music of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the words, the music. It took you, and you felt the words. You felt the music. You felt and to, even to this day, I can be a little, man, this is a little despondent. I'm not truly depressed, but, you know, it's just a lot on my mind. I, I can listen to certain music, and it just takes me away from all of that. And it's just absolutely amazing what it does for the show. this say it keeps you young, too. I don't, I don't know, but I mean, I still feel like a kid. So So maybe, maybe so. <laughs>
0: what is your all-time favorite meal?
1: My all-time favorite meal... Believe it or not, is beef curry. My father was East Indian, and even though we were separated when I was young, he'd, he'd be raised us on really well-seasoned food, and beef curry rice and rice and curry green beans is probably an all favorite meal.
0: I, too, am a devoted fan of curry. My last question. This broadcast will reach people in lots of places around the world. What would you like to say to anyone who's tuned in?
1: Well, there's one thing I'd like to say. I'd like to say for Obi, Levi, and Lawrence, the three tops that have gone, one night they came to me the night before we was burying Levi, and they said, it seemed like they said to me, Duke, before you go, would you tell everybody, thank you, for all those that came to our concerts, all those that bought a record, all those that even mentioned our name, all those that loaned us money when we were scuffling, all those that helped us out. All of those that gave us a ride. All of those that did anything for or with the tops. From each one of us, we'd like to say thank you. Thank you so very much.
0: It's so wonderful to be thankful. And I thank you so much for the music. And thank you for this wonderful interview.
1: All right. Thank uh, you, so I look forward to seeing you.
0: I hope to see you, too.
1: Okay, buddy. All right.
0: The Boop, bop, deep Papa
1: doodleika, keep pop doodleika. Ooh now, I to be a Goodbye.